Hey, thanks for listening to the Bellevue Christian Church podcast. We're a church in Bellevue, Pennsylvania, where ordinary people are learning to live everyday life like Jesus. We believe that one way to learn that life is by engaging with an ancient but active collection of books called the Bible every single week. If this teaching leaves you with a question about the content or a story of what God is doing in your life, please send a message to hello at bellevuechristian.church because we'd love to hear from you. Well, good morning. So we, we begin this new series called How to Wear a Towel. And in this series, what we're asking you to do to figure out if you might be one of the 20 people that are called to wear a towel. Now, if you're visiting with us today, it's not something weird. It's not something cultish. <laughs> but basically, we've defined what it means to wear a towel as this. It's using your God-given power to serve rather than being served. Using your God-given power to serve rather than be served. And if you're here the, at the beginning of the series, you know, we've, we base this whole idea of wearing to towel in a familiar story that's found in the Gospel of John where, where Jesus is spending time with his disciples. It's actually the, the night of the Last Supper, enjoying fellowship with them. And at some point, he realizes that all power and authority is going to be shortly given back to him, that he, again, is going to be the ruler of the universe. And what he does, though, at that point is kind of strange. He doesn't do what a normal person, another person might do, is, is pick up a sword and try to uh, lead some military campaign. He doesn't pick up a crown and try to take a seat in a, in, a, in a kingdom or something like that. Rather, he does something very strange. He picks up a towel, and he begins to wash the feet of the disciples. And really what he was showing is that, you know, he came to serve, not to be served. And in doing so, he became an example for every Christian that's ever been around since then. And so again, what we see again, that it's all about service. And we talked about the idea that wearing a towel simply involves four things. The first is to identify or know your power. We'll talk a lot about that today. It's the idea of knowing your spiritual giftedness. And then two is seeing your opportunity to serve. You know, there's plenty of opportunities to serve inside and outside the church. And then actually begin to do something about it. And get up and, and, and serve, and then surrendering the results to God. Not being over uh, uh, anxious about how people would receive your acts of service, and even whether they would appreciate it, because we know that many people don't appreciate it. What we did last week, though, we saw how to wear a towel in the, in the community, brought in some of our ministry partners uh, from the Shepherd's Door, from His Place, and from Urban Impact. And some of you, I know, made some connections there, and maybe learning, actually thinking about wearing a towel in the community. But what we're going to do today is just kind of explore what it means to wear a towel in the church, to serve in the church. And really, it's not that much different than serving the community. The main difference is that the community focus in the church is the community of believers known as the body of Christ. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, How do, what it looks like to serve in the church. Again, particularly, what, it, what, is the, what is the basis for this act of service? But before we do that, I want to just throw out some statistics there. Just to give you an idea of how many people are currently wearing a towel at Bellevue Christian Church. Now, this is on a, on, a, on a normal Sunday, or at least probably a very busy Sunday. We have at both combined services, we have at least four front door greeters, two ushers, six musicians, three members of the worship team, three people back there in the sound booth doing sound, video, and lights. We have up to nine communion servers and also a prep person. 
eight people on a prayer team that you see on either side of the sanctuary during communion time, and 24 people are helping out in children's ministry in a nursery, and then up to five people doing the stack, being part of the stack team, and cleaning up afterwards. Now, I think if you do the math, I think it ends up with about 64 people on just a, you know, an average or above average Sunday. But that doesn't include the people that are serving during the week from the church, the people that are leading a discipleship community in their home, or maybe hosting a discipleship community. You know, we have the people that, that hold certain offices in, the, offices in the church, such as the deacons, the trustees, and the elders, who sometimes spend several hours, you know, in meetings, you know, doing things that doesn't always seem fruitful. In fact, it probably more than often seems frustrating. But they are wearing a towel in those particular meetings. We have people that are serving on the property committee, both uh, repairing things inside the church and outside the church. We have people that are part of this thing we call the meal train, which is simply a, a matter of volunteering to take meals to people that are in need. We have people that are serving in the, in the um, social media team, people that are, are, are spending time uploading social media so that you can hear sermons, so you can hear, uh, learn about upcoming events. You know, we have people that are doing the decor, working on decor behind the scenes. We have people that are, 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 are quietly praying through the prayer ministry. We have people that are sitting there writing cards at night, just writing cards to people. Many of you have been recipients of it. So in any given week, we have either somewhere between 75 to 100 people wearing the towel, so to speak, in the church. Now, I don't tell you all that to make anybody you know, feel guilty about the service, but just to, again, just paint the reality. Sometimes you don't, I don't think people realize what it takes to run a church, so to speak. And, but I also want you to know that if you're not serving or you're just wondering if you're serving in the right capacity or whatever, you know, that we, we, everybody, or as Peter writes, each person is responsible for serving in the church. In fact, he writes in First Peter, he says, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. There's a lot of good stuff in here about service and about using your gifts in the church. And so that's what I'd like to do is just unpack that a little bit. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here, but I just kind of just get you an idea of, again, why we serve the church, why we should be using our spiritual gifts. And the first phrase that kind of he uses is a phrase that, you know, should catch our attention. He uses the phrase, each one should use. And so when he says each one, what that implies is that there are no ungifted believers. No ungifted believers. It means that everybody who is a believer that has, can claim some sort of a, a born-again experience have been gifted with a spiritual gift, at least one or two spiritual gifts. Now, those gifts may lie dormant, dormant for, for a lot of years, maybe forever, but it doesn't take away from the fact that when you become a born-again believer, Christianity 101 teaches that you have been given a spiritual birthday gift. And which is interesting, the Greek word that we translate gift was actually originally used to describe a birthday gift. And so again, if you were a believer, if you were a born-again believer, you were given at least one spiritual gift to use for not your own benefit, for, for God's glory. And similar to the natural gifts that we're, we're, we're born with or the, or the skills we acquire through life, the gifts are being used for a specific purpose. In the, in the world, you know, when you, when you have certain natural gifts and you have certain skills that you picked up through, through education or whatever, you're, you're doing that so that you can function well in a particular environment. It's the same way with the spiritual gifts. 
The difference being, again, these gifts are spiritual, that these gifts are given by God. They can function in the world. They actually enhance, again, uh, the world and your, your job in the world or in the church, but also they, they have a spiritual component to it that if it wasn't there, you may not be able to actually fully, you know, experience or manifest that gift. Because some of these gifts you can't not do without the power of God behind you. And the other thing about spiritual gifts is that it's not limited to a certain type of people. You know, the, the 1% of the, of the workers in the church, you know, the, the pastors and the teachers and those sort of things, those sort of people. You know, we, we talk about it in the world. We talk about the 1%, you know, the upper class. We talk about the middle class. We talk about the lower class. But you have to remember, in God's church, there is no class. It's all been erased. There is no classes. There's no, no economic class. There's no ethnicity class. There's no status classes. None of that. That's all been erased because in the body of Christ, we are one. In fact, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians where he says, For we are we're all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we're all given the one spirit to drink. In other words, we're all pretty much equal. That means nobody should be elevated in the church. And I know it's easy to do that. It's easy to elevate the people that come up front here, whether it's be the pastors, whether it be the musicians, the singers, the teachers, you know, people that are up front. You know, we think, well, those gifts are really special, and those guys are, have uh, something that we don't have. And really, again, you're not supposed to think it like that. It just happens to be their particular gift. But when you have people outside that are doing things like just pulling weeds in the prayer garden, or people that are picking up trash, you know, or going through and and uh, uh, fixing, fixing something that's broken without asking anybody about it, or even changing a poopy diaper in a nursery, those are acts of service that are just important as standing up here or singing up here. You got to get that. You got to understand that. Anyway, so again, each one has been given a gift, and those gifts are not given to simply sit on the hoard, but the gifts should be used. Now, that seems like that should be evident that the gifts should be used. You know, a lot of times they don't get used. You know, like regular gifts, you know, some of you received a gift for Christmas or your birthday or something, and I suspect that some gifts you just don't use. Maybe it's a piece of clothing that doesn't look right on you or whatever, or it's a tie, or it's a, it's a book that hasn't been read, or it's a, you know, a tacky souvenir that somebody gave you for whatever reason. You know, you might not use it. You might not even open it. And so what happens is those gifts end up, you know, maybe being sold at a garage sale or something like that. You know, we're going to have a garage sale in a few weeks because we just uncluttered in our house. And I hate to say it, but I came across some of these gifts that I got from people throughout the last 14 years that may end up in a garage sale. So if you come by and you see it, do not get mad at me because you may have some of my gifts too in your garage sale. And that's just the reality of it. But, but what, at least though in those gifts, they can be re-gifted, they can be repackaged, they can be given to somebody that might be able to use it. But the spiritual gifts that are not used are lost forever. They're totally gone. And that's a tragedy because that's one of the reasons that the church is not as effective as it could be because everybody's not using their gifts. If everybody was using the gifts in the, in the entire church, not just our church, imagine how the world might be different. And so it's tragic that these gifts are not being used. In fact, so tragic that Jesus kind of uh, centers a parable on it. Some of you are familiar with the parable of the, of the talents. The talent was just a unit of money, you know, back in the first century. And I don't have time to dig into the scripture. Just, I just need to paraphrase it a bit. But there was a, a wealthy man that apparently was going on a journey. He wanted to take, make sure that his stuff was taken care of. wanted to make sure that his money was taken care of. So he gave one of his, his servants five talents. 
to basically do what he wants with, ideally invest, and then he gives another two talents to another servant, and then he gives one talent to the third servant. And so what happens is the man goes away, and, and, and the three servants, they all do something different with it. Well, actually, the first servant, he ends up doubling his money. We're not sure where he put it. Maybe he ordered some Bitcom or something like that, or Bitcoin, I'm sorry. You know, he spent some money there. Maybe he was able to double his, his lot. You know, he went from five to ten. And then there was somebody that had two talents, and he was able to, to double his. But the third person who received the one talent, what did he do? He buried that talent in the sand, didn't use it at all. And so the owner comes back, and obviously he's pleased with the guy that was able to take the five talents and turn it to ten, and the two that was able to, to turn to four. But the one that, only, that kept the one talent and buried it in the, in the sand, he was very upset with that. He was so upset that he took that one talent and he gave it to the other guys. And again, it's a, it's a parable that just not only speaks to our importance or the importance of us being good stewards of our resources or finances, but also being good stewards of the spiritual gifts that we have received from Jesus Christ himself. And that's the next point, that spiritual gifts are received. They're received. You do nothing at all to earn these gifts. Just like any other gift, it's usually a, it's something that, again, you did nothing to deserve it. You know, it's just a gift that you receive from Jesus himself. So it means that you cannot get one of these gifts just by having more education, spending more time at church, getting more experience or whatever. You receive the gifts from Jesus Christ according to how he wants to divvy it out, basically. And as the passage that kind of alludes to this is in Ephesians where Paul writes, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. This is a kind of a strange verse. The first part just talks about that Christ decides how he wants to dish out the gifts. But the second part is where some people believe that Paul is alluding back to Psalm 68 that talks about a kind of a military leader that would go out and conquer a country or whatever, and then what he would do is come back with all the spoils, and he would take those spoils and, and dish them out to the people that he wanted to that helped him in this particular campaign. And so what Paul is kind of comparing that to Jesus Christ, when Jesus Christ, you know, took captives, in theory were the captives, the redeemed captives, the ones that he took away from the divinity of darkness and brought over to his kingdom, we became, again, the captives that are following him in his train, in his robe, and through that, he dishes back out gifts to us by way of his church, the body of Christ. And so we are called to be good stewards of those gifts because we just receive them just to steward them. And that's something else to remember is that he goes on to say that receive to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace, faithfully administering God's grace. Now, the idea here is uh, it can, something that's faith. Faithfully administrating could have the idea of, of being a good steward. And a steward was basically the manager of a house, and his boss was the master or whatever, and he was putting, the steward was putting in charge of his possessions, his money, and that sort of thing, and he would, he would care for it. It wasn't, he didn't have any wealth of his own. He was just in charge of caring for the things that were given to him by the master. And it's the same way for us. We are given God's grace is given to us for us to minister, administer. In fact, that's where the word minister comes from, ministering the grace of God. 
And so we are all, technically, we are all considered ministers because we've all been received the gift of God's grace that we are to take again and not hoard and be able to give it out to others. We're supposed to give out the blessings to others. And one of the passages that I really love is, it comes out of the book of John where it says, from the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. And I like this verse because it seems like, okay, we can anticipate that God's always showering down his blessings upon each of us. In some ways he is, he probably is, but I don't think they always come to us directly. I think they come to us by way of others. You know, in that sense, all believers are somewhat like a, like a, a pipeline with a valve. And so the, God's grace, God's favor is what, what basic grace is coming down through us. He's given us this gift of grace. And he's saying, okay, give it to somebody else. And we have this valve we can either keep closed and keep to ourselves or we can open the valve and let it pour out to others. And that's what we're talking about. Again, we have got this gift of grace that we are stewards of and we need to be given to others in any way, in any form or fashion that it manifests itself in us. And we also know that there are a lot of different gifts. He says, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms, there are a variety of gifts. You know, just like it takes many notes to make a good song or many uh, colors of paint to make a good painting, it takes many gifts to make a good body of Christ, really. And you say, well, where are all these gifts? How do I find out about them? But really, they're kind of isolated to the three books in the New Testament. The book of Romans, 1 Corinthians, and Ephesians. So what I'd like to do for the remaining of the sermon is just kind of uh, I'll go through these, I'll read through these, and I want to see how many gifts that you might be able to identify in these various passages, starting with Romans 12, 6, where it says, We have different gifts according to the grace given, up, given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Name out, call out some gifts there. What do you see? Teaching. What else? What was that? Contributing? Okay. Prophesying, encouraging, leadership. Somebody say mercy. Okay, mercy. What else? Being cheerful. Prophesying. Serving. So if you want to know where some of the gifts are, just start there with Romans 12. What about 1 Corinthians 12, 8? To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom... To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And and, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. Or these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he gives them to each one. Remember, that's that word phrase, each one just as he determines. In other words, just as he decides to portion it out. What gifts do you see there? Healing. Healing. Miraculous powers, wisdom. Interpretation of tongues. Prophecy. Patience. What else? Wisdom. 
Faith. Speaking in tongues. Okay, let's go on to the second part of 1 Corinthians where it says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed first of all prophets, second, or first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. What do you see in here? Speaking in tongues, teachers, administration, healing, miracles. You see a little bit of repetition in some of these, but again, you're picking out other new ones there. And let's look at this uh, verse, Ephesians 4.11. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. What do you see? The truth. The truth, again, what else? Knowledge. Knowledge in there? I don't see knowledge, but it could be in there somewhere. But you see, what are the words? What are the, what are the roles you see? Pastor. Pastor. Evangelist. Evangelist prophets. Teachers. teachers. And one more up there, the apostles. And so you've done a pretty good job of identifying the gifts that are in there. And I would say that some of you that shouted those out might even have some of those gifts and you don't even know it. You know, well, the thing is that these are not meant to be complete, comprehensive lists. Paul is not worried about satisfying a 21st century church and saying, I better have a nice list of gifts so that we can make sure that we know which ones are valid and which ones are not. No, he's just listing it off. You know, he's just using this in the context of a sentence, you know, naming some of the more popular popular gifts. Anyway, some would say that there's at least 20 spiritual gifts. Some have listed up to 30. And what they've tried to do is, uh, some people try to, because they're organizers, they try to organize the gifts into a certain uh, categories. And the three common categories include ministry gifts, office and speaking gifts, and sign or manifest gifts. Now, ministry gifts are the ones that are probably the most common that we see in the church that's operating in a lot of the, the typical ministries within a church. You know, things like hospitality, generosity, craftsmanship, evangelism helps. Those things we see pretty commonly in the church, and, be, and they're probably the least divisive of the gifts. The second area is office and speaking gifts, which is basically things like leadership, teaching, and pastoring. These are often the upfront type gifts. And then you have these things called the sign or manifest gifts. Sign or manifest gifts, basically, uh, they're called this because what happens is when they are present... Some people believe that the manifest presence of God is there, that God is definitely in the room, basically. And that's what they believe, that's what they believe that is, uh, they suggest is the, uh, the manifest gifts, and this would include things like healing or tongues or prophet, prophecy or wisdom. And so again, this is a, this is a, uh, the, the, the thing about especially the signs gifts is that there's a lot of disagreement around them. In fact, they become very divisive because you have one group, one extreme group that would be called I lean towards what's called the cessationist. Cessationists believe that basically these sign gifts have ceased to operate after the first century. Then the other extreme, you've got extreme Pentecostals that believe that, that they, 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 they exist all the time. And so uh, they, 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 base, they, they base it on basically one particular passage. The cessationists base it on one particular passage that comes out of 1 Corinthians that says, Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. 
Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. Anybody been around a church long enough to know how the cessationists interpret perfection? It basically is the completion of the Bible. So when the Bible is completed in whatever century it was, early century, that's when they believe that perfection came. And so those gifts that were needed in the first century to demonstrate the power of God has now been replaced with the Word of God. So those would be what's called the cessationists. Again, on the other extreme, you've got the extreme Pentecostals that believe that all the gifts, including the signed gifts, the manifest gifts, are valid today. But some would even suggest that if you're not demonstrating one of these signed gifts, if you haven't experienced a signed gift, that you're not even saved, that you're not a believer. And so these are two extremes. And for me, I think either extreme is bad. And I don't think Paul was about either extreme. But Paul was about, uh, really about love, as you can tell from this passage. And he was about finding, again, having a balance within the, the context of his worship Setting. You have to remember a little bit backing up is that you have to remember when the church started in the, uh, on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved. I mean, you, ever, you ever think about 3,000 people being saved one day? What do you do with them? And we have a hard time if one, three people get baptized, let alone 3,000. 3,000 people. You know, do we get them in discipleship communities? Do we get them one on one? What do we do? And so it's just, you know, it's, it's chaos. It's chaos because you had all these different people coming in to this new setting of the church. And as we know, just because you're saved doesn't all of a sudden fix you, make you perfect. It just starts your journey towards discipleship. And so what happens is a lot of people come into the church back then and even today that they come in with their baggage. And that's okay. Bring your baggage in too. They come in their baggage. And so that's what happened in Paul's time. The people were bringing in their baggage. And some of that baggage included things like spiritual gifts. See, we think Christians are the only ones that experience spiritual gifts. But the pagans back then, they had spiritual gifts too. They spoke in foreign tongues. They, they prophesied. They, all these things that he's mentioning was very common in the pagan communities back then. And so they're bringing this garbage into the church. And what happens is church is getting kind of out of, out of hand. Because you got people standing up, interrupting each other. As one person talks, one person's given a word of knowledge or a tongue. The other person gets up and starts interrupting and saying, i got something better to say. They're like competing for the place, for the platform within the particular church. And Paul says, no, listen, that stuff's good, but at some point that's going to be over. That's going to be over. The perfect that, I, that some people suggest is when the second coming of Jesus Christ is the perfection. But he says, listen, in the meantime... You know, all that stuff's going to fail. But the thing that's so important right now is love. Love is, is, is supposed to overrule everything. So whether you've got a word of knowledge or a tongue or whatever, if for some reason it, it's, it's to be a, an offense to your brother or sister or done in an inappropriate way or an inappropriate time, that's not showing love. That's arrogance. And so that's really what he's dressing there. He's not saying people don't speak in tongues or everybody should speak in tongues. He's saying, do whatever you do, do it out of love. Do it in the context of love. Anyway, that's a lot of information to take in, and I, I need to wind this up because we have a busy Sunday. But, you know, again, the emphasis is that each one has a gift. That's what I want you to leave with. Each one has a gift. And again, that gift is to be used. It's, it's not to be hoarded because it's been given from Jesus Christ himself. You are to receive that gift. Again, it's something that you don't earn. It's something that you receive. 
And then again, you were supposed to steward until the second, until you die or the second coming of Christ, steward for the benefit of others. And I know that I'm leaving a lot of open-ended questions, but that's, that's okay. You know, some of you are thinking, well, how do I know which gifts I have? There's a lot of different ways. We, for one, we do something called a spiritual gifts assessment, which is a, a quick inventory, which you're welcome to, uh, to get a link to if you want. And then some are saying, well, where do I know where to use my gift? And uh, if you came in today, you got a handout talking about the various ministries that are going to be available, you know, during this particular, during, after the service, that you could figure out where you might be able to serve. And again, when should I serve? Because I'm in, a, I'm in a season of life where I just don't have any time in my day because I'm, I'm a young parent. I'm busy with kids and all this kind of stuff. You know, those are all good questions, too many questions to be answered today. That's why we offer this thing that we keep talking about, this, this on-ramp. The on-ramp, again, the, the session four of the on-ramp deals with these type of questions. You know, because really your gifts or knowing where to serve your gifts is really a combination of several things that collectively make up what we would call a spiritual profile. It includes things like your unique personality. Everybody has a unique personality. It includes things like your passions. What are the things that you would do whether you're paid or not and just keeps you up at night because you just love doing them so much? You know, and again, obviously, your, the, the particular gifts that you've been wired with since birth, those things collectively add up to your spiritual profile that should be used, again, not for your glory, but the glory of God. And that's the ultimate why behind spiritual gifts. Why we do it is not to glorify man, but to glorify God. In fact, Paul in, this, in, in verse 11 says, If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. And then he ends up with the doxology. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Again, it's for, God, it's for God's glory. That's the why behind the gift. And so when you take that gift, that gift of grace that's been given to you, and you use it in a way that blesses another person, and a church collectively does that and builds up the body of Christ, you can guarantee that God will get some glory out of it. Let us pray. Thanks for listening. If that teaching moved you or left you with questions, let us know by sending a message to hello at bellevuechristian.church. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast for a new teaching from us every single week.